Do you have a group of people that just keeps asking for your help? Maybe they're not even looking for help with their nutrition, you guys. Maybe it's something else tangentially related. That's where you may be leaving money on the table. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Michelle Leota. Back in 2006, 2007, I had a really hard time with my own health. I was experiencing all of these fainting episodes, doctors telling me nothing was wrong. You know, it's kind of a classic health coach story. Doctor said I was fine, so I took matters into my own hands, changed my life, changed my diet, changed my lifestyle. And then became really annoying to all my friends and family who I kept telling about all this awesome stuff I was doing. So at the suggestion of her at-the-time boyfriend, she started a blog. Before long, she had built up a following, went to school to become a health coach, and almost immediately, her business took off. Which was really interesting because so many health coaches' businesses did not take off. So sort of at the same time as I was navigating my way through becoming a health coach and running my programs, I was always being asked, Michelle, how did you do this? How did you start your blog? How are you, you know, running this program? How are you succeeding? Can you help me? Can you help me? So I've been mentoring health coaches for about as long as I've been one myself. In this episode, we're talking all about making money. And not just a little bit of money, but a real, predictable, sustainable salary from your business. We talk about how big profits need to start with a clear why. You have to have something inside of you that says, like, I'm going to make this happen for whatever the reason is. For the people who really are committed to earning the salary and making a huge impact, yeah, digging in and finding your why will get you there. The big secret that keeps wellness businesses from being more profitable? If you're not making offers, you're not going to get clients. And you could be offering one-on-one coaching. You could be offering some sort of group program that you're running. You could be selling a product. You could be making an offer as an affiliate for another brand. And I find that by combining all of those different types of offers is how you flesh out a real salary. And what to do when you land on an offer that resonates. I just tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it until my process was seamless. You know, I became very comfortable presenting. I became very comfortable with the medium. I became very comfortable talking about what I was selling. And over time, it just became predictable. I knew I could hold a webinar and I would make X number of dollars. While practical tips are great, probably the single biggest thing that holds all of us back when it comes to money and profitability is our mindsets and our beliefs about money. So to kick off the interview, I asked Michelle about her own history and how her relationship with money has evolved over time. Mm, It sure has evolved. I mean, I was certainly someone who grew up and went through the early part of my life feeling like I was not allowed to have money. I you know, I grew up very poor. I remember at one point I was seeing a therapist and she actually gave me a, an assignment. She said, I want you to go out and buy a piece of jewelry for yourself. That is hmm. not, that is not from Claire's, you know, like, <laughs> that cost significant money. It was so weird to spend money on myself um, unnecessarily. So that was sort of where I was coming from. And then things <laughs> in the early part of my health coaching business, I didn't really need to make money. Honestly, my my husband at the time, you know, he made plenty of money with his job. So mine was just like the the fun little hobby on the side kind of thing. And I had a couple babies and, you know, the money I made was just bonus. Didn't really matter. 
and everything changed. I will tell you the day that everything changed. Um, our relationship kind of was getting worse, you know, especially after the babies come, there's a way of that happening. And there was a day that I asked him if he could come home when he came home, if he could fold some laundry, because I'd been with the kids all day. And he said no, and that he was tired of funding my hobby. And I thought to myself, well, I'll show you. (laughs) And it was just like the switch flipped in my brain to like, I am going to turn this into a real salary like he'll see and p.s part of me was like if I'm ever gonna get out of this marriage I'm gonna need to support myself because that was becoming like more and more of an issue for me how would I ever do it on my own and um, and I think a lot of women in particular but you know other people are stuck in situations stuck in where you're living stuck in a relationship stuck in a job because You just don't know how you would make it otherwise. And so that was the day I said, I'm going to start putting my profit first. Like I'm going to start thinking with a business brain about this. How am I going to make money? Because we go into health coaching with a heart. You know, we go into health coaching because we want to help people. And to this day, I just got off the phone with the client just before we got on, Jeremy, um, helping her with her health issues. I'm still doing the work and I still love it. But at the same time, that fire was lit inside of me that like, oh no, I'm going to make this happen for myself. And so I started, how am I going to make X number of dollars this year? Well, how can I break that down by the month? Okay, well, what do I have to do right now in order to make that kind of money this month? And I started working towards an income goal in a serious way. And within a couple months, I remember looking at my husband and saying, you know, I paid the mortgage this month. And he was (laughs) like, what? (laughs) And it felt really, really great. And then cut to a few years later and we ultimately split and I was able to walk away as I needed to with the kids, get a house, buy a car, all on my own. So it's been, it's meant everything for my freedom and, and for my happiness and just this ability ability to think with the like, I need to take care of myself. I'm not just going to be a kept woman. Yeah. I love that. And a lot of people, especially a lot of women are in that scenario. And I know that I have in-laws who are in a very similar situation where stuck in a relationship that is not ideal by any sense of the word and just no way to get out of it and kind of trapped in that space. But I think that's kind of an extreme scenario where even really what you're talking about is freedom, like having that income and being able to generate income through your business gives you more freedom to do all kinds of things, whether that is grow the business further, whether that is to have a bigger impact in your community, to pay your team more. If you have a team around you, like all these things, being able to make money can make your life so much easier and better and open up so many more opportunities in all these different ways. Yeah, it's amazing. And I love it because I always think to myself, because you would get scared. Oh gosh, I'm never going to, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to hit that income goal or whatever. And I I just started repeating to myself, and this is 100% true for all of us who work for ourselves, especially in the online space, I have unlimited earning potential. Hmm. And I do. If I worked, I used to work in the ad agency world. I was an art director and there, there was a definite cap to what I could earn. I mean, I could get a promotion, I could get a raise, but I mean, ultimately HR was setting the salaries for what was going to be offered for a position like that. Whereas now, like, I really have unlimited earning potential. I feel that. And when you can feel that inside of you, it's like scary. (laughs) It's amazing Uh at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the things I think that stood out to me there in your story is kind of the why. And I think a lot of times, and I felt this in my business where 
things are like, okay, or they're pretty good, they're passable. And we convince ourselves like, well, I don't really need more than this. And a lot of times that that mindset kind of creeps in or that the money mindset specifically, where we don't want to feel like we're just, you know, being self-indulgent and uh, being excessive with our lifestyle. And I'm happy at this level. But that often kind of keeps us from making that push to that next level. And so I love how you had this like distinct why of like, I'm going to show my husband that this can be a real job and I can maybe even out earn him and uh, become the real like breadwinner in the family. And I think that until you find that a lot of times, it's hard to break out of that money mindset. Do you see that play out with your clients as well? And maybe if so, what are some of the other whys that they can ultimately latch on to that pull them to kind of uh, step things up when it comes to their mindset? I do see that. A lot of health coaches are in a similar situation um, where someone else's or, you know, there's another way that their bills are getting paid. So they're not so motivated to make a particular dollar figure. And I think it's easy for them to go, oh, like I'm going to take a a little time off or, oh, I got interested in this other thing for a while because, yeah, because they don't have that strong why. So I think really it's about... (laughs) what do you want to achieve, right? Like what is going to make you feel fulfilled? And it's not necessarily money for everybody, right? That's just not going to be your why. Or maybe you've gone through a particular health issue and it drives you crazy when you see other people going through it and getting no help from their doctors. Maybe that's your why. Like I'm going to show those doctors, you know, or I'm going <laughs> to, um, I mean, I, I, I think that you just, you have to have something inside of you that says like, I'm going to make this happen. And for whatever the reason is, and if you don't have that also, you don't have to, you don't have to be the biggest, baddest health coach there ever was, you know, like it's okay if it's a hobby for you, but for the people who really are committed to earning the salary and making a huge impact, yeah, digging in and finding your why will get you there. Yeah. And I know one of the things that I noticed for myself is that a core part of my identity has been frugality and the ability to get by on not that much, which is something that I feel like I'm currently working on to level up in that it has kind of held back the business from charging more, which has then meant that I've not been able to pay my team as much as I would like, which I feel like, well, I'm comfortable at the level I'm at, but I would love to be able to pay my team twice what I pay them now. And it's not that I'm like, you know, paying them $5 an hour or anything, but I see the work that they do and I know how valuable it is. And I want to recognize that. And like, I want to really be able to support the people around me. And even looking beyond that, then looking into, you know, my community or all these different things where, you know, just because I'm making more money doesn't mean I'm, I'm keeping it all for myself. I can create impact elsewhere. And I think that that's what so many people who get into the wellness world are are really wanting to make impact on a big level beyond just the one-to-one people that they're working with. Well, that's a really good point. The money you earn in your business doesn't all go in your pocket. I mean, as you grow, yes, you're hiring people. Yes, you're buying tools for your business. Yes, you're traveling for your business. You know, and like right now with the economy in kind of a weird place, like it has been wonderful for me to be able to continue contributing to like keeping the economy moving where a lot of people, their finances just came to a screeching halt with COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And actually right when the, the pandemic hit, I was able to kind of say to my team, even like, Hey, if anybody's really feeling the struggle, like, because we have enough excess here, like I can support you if you need, like if you have lost all your clients and you're not getting by, like, let's talk and we can come up with some kind of plan where, you know, I can give you advances or whatever that is, that we have enough to be generous with that and to really support the people around us, which I think 
in line with a lot of what we talk about on the show of building, you know, what I would consider better businesses. Like that's the kind of business I want to build where the people who are involved with it, uh, whether that's clients or team members or, or customers or whatever that is, really like feel that generous nature and that support coming from it. That's beautiful. All right. So I feel like we often tend to make money making really, really difficult for ourselves by focusing on all these activities that we think we need to do to make money, building our email lists and posting on social media and all these different things that are kind of marketing related. And in the end, we ignore all this low hanging fruit that we're not really seeing that can actually very quickly make us more money sometimes. And I've heard you refer to these tasks as income generating activities. So I'm curious what some of the most effective income generating activities you found both for yourself and for the coaches in your community. Okay. Yes. So I I think I use that term because a lot of times our calendar, if you look at your calendar for the week, it can be very, very full. And yet somehow you can go weeks on end and never actually generate any income. And then you're Mm -hmm. like, wait a minute, weeks just passed, months just passed. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the year. How come I didn't make any money? So I really like for coaches and for myself to focus on how am I earning money this week? In fact, So my course is called Healthy Profit University, right? And every Monday, that's the question we ask the group. How are you going to earn money this week, right? It doesn't mean that you have to every single week. doesn't mean you always have to have a plan, but you do always have to be thinking about it because if a few weeks go by and you haven't, hmm, like maybe it's time to, to change game plan a little bit. And then every Friday we ask, what income did you earn this week? You want to keep checking in, keep checking in with yourself so you don't get surprised at the end of the year when you ended up with just a couple thousand dollars in your uh, in your bank account. So what income generating activity really boils down to is making offers and offers can be mm-hmm. made in so many different ways. Like it could be that you're booking consultation calls, right? Because you're going to make an offer during those calls. It could be that you are hosting a webinar and during the webinar, you're going to make an offer. And it could be that you're just going to send an email to your list or post something to social media, but there's going to be an offer baked into it. Anything that you do, (laughs) you can do it just for like the love of the game. You know, you could host an event, you could do something, you could teach people. But if you're not making offers, you're not going to get clients. And you can be offering one-on-one coaching. You could be offering some sort of group program that you're running. You could be selling a product. You could be making an offer as an affiliate for another brand. And I find that by combining all of those different types of offers is how you flesh out a real salary. Awesome. And I want to talk a little bit more about that coming up later in this interview. But one of the things that I love about identifying these tasks that are what you might designate as income generating activities, and this might be, you know, there might be some variance for each person, but that you can actually attach time goals to these. And so you can say like, I want to spend five hours this week on income generating activities. And you can track that. And it's pretty clear as day at the end of the week, you can say, oh, how much time did I spend on income generating activities? oh, one hour, my goal was five. That's probably why I didn't make as much or next week, I'm not going to make as much as I would like. And so it can get really black and white because you're able to put these kind of like, I know these things generate money and I can track how much time I spend doing those things. And then whatever result I get, that's probably why. 
Yeah. And then you'll very quickly change, right? The way that you structure your week. So where you, you might, or it's very easy for me, especially because I used to be an art director. It's very easy for me to go down a rabbit hole of like, oh, I need to update my website. Oh, I want to like change the graphics on my Facebook page. Or I want to, I want to update these worksheets because, you know, I don't like that color anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like all that <laughs> stuff is fine. And maybe I do want to do it, but you have to kind of reel it in and go, well, what's going to provide a return on the investment of my time? So some weeks I have thought to myself, wow, I didn't do anything this week to move forward, you know, financially or, you know, you, you, everything in a way you could say, oh, well, I, I'm working on growing my mailing list. That's going to move me forward financially, but I haven't made any offers. Well, heck, why don't I just get on Instagram right now and I'll do an Instagram live about this product that I love that I happen to be an affiliate for because that's something, right? Like you can have big, huge offers. I have a webinar planned in a couple of weeks. I'm gonna be making huge offers to thousands of people. That's great. And then you can do it in these really small ways, but you want to not allow yourself to go down these rabbit holes of like, well, I'm gonna spend 25 hours this week just like learning about gut health. <laughs> yeah. The profit's not gonna happen that way. I think that one of the things that stops people from making offers is, of course, most of us coming from the heart-centered wellness background do not feel that comfortable selling or making offers. So I'm curious if you have discovered any method in your time in business that has helped you kind of get over that hump and get more comfortable with actually pitching things and making offers to people. Okay, I'm going to say two things. One is that the more experience that I've had working with the right target market, the more I have noticed that women want to hire me. They want to pay me. They are going into the conversation hoping that they can do just that because they want what I have to offer. So once I realized that it was no longer about me being vulnerable and saying, oh, pretty, please, will you buy my thing? And instead it's about, it's really about the client looking for your help and you granting it, you know, it's, that's all like, they're just hoping that you have time for them. So that really shifted how I thought about making offers. And the other thing is again, just kind of doing the math, like how many offers did I make this week and how much money did I earn? How many offers did I make next week? Oh, I made twice as many offers. You can almost bet your buns. You're going to make twice as much money. So the more, the more offers that I made, like I just noticed that it went up at the same time. And then I'm like, oh, so even if I make like 500 offers this week, there are 500 people that get an offer from me. Maybe there's a percentage of them that roll their eyes because it's not the right thing for them, but there are 10 of them that it was the perfect thing for. And those are the 10 that matter. Like those are the 10 people that I can really affect their lives. They're going to change the way they show up in the world. Like that's the impact that I want to make. So the other people Uh, like, I don't think about them. I think about the ones that are saying yes. So it's a little bit of a numbers game. The more offers you make, the more money you will earn. Yeah. And I would say that the more offers you make, the more comfortable you get making offers. And the more comfortable you get, the more kind of confident and energy you bring to it. And this is one of the things that I recognized in your or or noticed in listening to your podcast and some of the guesting that you've done as I was preparing for this interview is you have this like super energetic like confidence when you're talking about your topic that obviously you know really well 
And so I'm listening to all your episodes and I was like, I want to buy everything now. Like you just speak about it in a way that's confident and excited that like, you know, these offers are good that you're making, you know who you're speaking to and you know what's going to help them. And when you're really clear on that, you bring this excitement and energy to it. And we all do that when we're confident that that shows to other people and they get more excited about it too. And it becomes less of an icky kind of transaction. It's true. I mean, the, everything gets easier with experience and, you know, that confidence just comes. I think the biggest part of it for me is non-attachment. Like if I make an offer today to someone or to a hundred people, like I don't, I don't care if they buy or not. Like, I mean, I do. I mean, I want, I want them to do the thing that's right for, for them, but I'm not feeling so tied to the outcome that I'm like nervous and sweaty and stumbling on my words because I know that if they say no, there's going to be more people tomorrow that I can make an offer to. And I know because of my experience through time, people are going to take me up on it. They are going to have life-changing experiences. They are going to see these great results. And so I'm not second guessing myself every step of the way anymore. And that goes a really long way. Another really great thing that I learned when I was first starting out was that okay, you're not going to have the confidence in your first year, mm -hmm. in your first couple of years in business, maybe. But nobody knows except you how many people took you up on your offer. And most people are going to assume that lots of people did. If you're, let's say you're hosting an event and you make an offer for your group program or whatever, or for private coaching, somebody doesn't buy, but they assume that you got lots of buyers. They don't know. They just, you just assume you know, you came across confident as you made your offer. Great. You had a whole sales page or you had a system for people to book a call with you. Oh my goodness. She probably has so many clients. So it kind of sets the stage for next time. They may not be right for you now, or the timing may not be right for them, but they get this idea in your head that you're doing great business. So it's one part faking it until you make it, you know, and it's <laughs> one part like just realizing like you're the only person looking at your numbers at the end of the day. So don't be afraid to talk about your client experience, even if you've only had two. To say, oh, my client had this amazing result, even if that's the only client you've ever had. It's still true. And it paints the picture for everybody. Like, this is the work that I do. And over time, you will do more and more of it. So kind of talking about the the timing there and the timing is, of course, not right for everyone every time you make an offer. But I think a lot of us, if we make an offer for a specific program that we have or some kind of product or service and we get a not that great a response, we might think, well, people aren't interested in it. The product isn't right or the, the, the program isn't right. I need to tweak that. But a lot of times the timing isn't right. And I think we worry about fatiguing our audience with continuing to promote the same thing. So I'm curious about how you think about making the same offer multiple times, how often to space that out, or whether you should actually be trying out, you know, piecing different products or services or, or offerings together that might be a better fit. Yeah. You know, years ago, I, especially when I really got that idea in my head that I was going to make money this year, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I did the latter. I did the thing where you just start creating, oh, I'm going to create this new program, then I'm going to create that new program, then I'm going to do this other thing. And I did bring up my income that year for sure, which was awesome. But I also really was working at an unmanageable pace, especially 
that was uh, right before my second child, I think, was born. And I knew once I had this, you know, had a baby, I wasn't going to have the time anymore. So, you know, you can hustle. That is one way to do it. You know, <laughs> every time someone asks, I see this all the time. Oh, you know, I, I know these moms and they want meal plans for me. So I'm going to come up with a meal plan program for them. You can be reactive like that. I have found it to be a much better business model, though, to come up with an offer. You know, you're going to use, you're not just going to pull it out of the air. You're going to use some strategy. You're going to talk to your audience. You're going to interview them. You're going to understand what they need. You're going to work one-on-one with clients long enough that you really understand the process that they go through. And then you can put together something of a signature program. And once you do that, I find it's easier to iterate than it is to start over. So if you have something and it's not working, it's not selling like, you know, hotcakes, that's okay. How can you optimize it a little bit? What is working? What can you double down on? What isn't working? What could you do differently next time? And just iterate and iterate and iterate. And then you will become an expert in selling that one thing and you will do it so well that you won't even have to think about it anymore. It's already created. You don't have to be in creation mode all the time. And I find that makes for much smoother, long-term, sustainable business operations. I love that. And so we've kind of been talking about making offers that are more on the maybe program or kind of product side of things. But obviously, a lot most people start out doing one-to-one work and pricing yourself is probably the other big issue. First, there's not making enough offers and even one-on-one work can fall into that. But then the next thing that's really holding people back from making more is pricing and obviously mindset and understanding how to value your work both to yourself, but also how to show your clients what your work is worth is a a big stumbling block for a lot of people. So I'm curious how you like to start by teaching people when it comes to pricing, like where should they start? How should they get that baseline from which they can kind of then grow over time? Sure. So we tend to start off by thinking like, oh my gosh, like what am I worth? How much is my knowledge worth? You know, and then putting a dollar figure against that, which is terrible. I mean, it's just like, this, <laughs> it feels so scary to do that. And that's why coaches end up charging something like, you know, $300 a month for their coaching package. And, and, and really at the end of the day, making nothing, you know, we're making a pittance most of the time, if that's the kind of pricing that you have. So I like to think of it first from a business perspective, like forget you, forget health coaching, forget like your love of healthy eating and nutrition, all that. Just put on your business hat for a second. Person A is going to start a business. Person A has an audience of people to sell to that is how big? Is it 40 million people? Is, is this Walmart we're talking about? Is this, <laughs> you know, Nike? Does this person have a lot of startup capital? Okay, maybe, maybe that's you. But for most health coaches, like if for myself, when I started out, I was person A. I had maybe 100 people on my mailing list. I had... 100 people that I could potentially sell to. Now, keeping in mind that only about 3% of your audience is going to buy from you, how would person A possibly make enough money to stay in business? <laughs> if only 3% of my list was going to buy from me when I went out with my offer, could I afford to make an offer that was $99? I'd make 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to sustain a business doing that. I'm not going to be able to continue doing this work in the world. So the only possible way for a person A to build a business is to price high when your audience is small. You have to provide a higher end service, 
because you're not going to make as many sales because you just don't have the reach to do so. You're going to make a couple of sales. So you have to price high in order to keep yourself in business. Then, yes, once you are the size of Walmart, then you can sell things for 99 cents and you will still make a profit. Right. So you have to just think of it just real like logically at first. And then when it comes to marketing and you're, you're making that offer for someone, the other way that I like to think about pricing is, again, it's not about what you're worth. Ugh. And anyway, even if it was, it's not about how much the hour of your time is worth. It's about all the years of studying that you've done, your experiences, like people have to are paying you for years of your life, of your experience and your knowledge. I'm not paying you for that one hour that you're with them. But anyway, the better way to really just think about like how much should this program be priced at or this coaching package be priced at is how much is the transformation worth to your client? Another way of saying it is, are you solving a big enough problem for them? So if you're selling a holistic approach to ingrown toenails, okay, for someone who has an ingrown toenail, it's kind of a problem. It's annoying, right? Like how much is it worth it to them to solve the ingrown toenail versus a woman who has been yo-yo dieting her entire life and she's now in perimenopause and her metabolism has changed. She has been on every diet under the sun. She's not advancing at work because she feels like she doesn't have the confidence to get up in front of the room and lead management style. Like, what is it worth to her to solve her yo-yo dieting body image problem? That's a much bigger problem and it's worth more to her than the person who has an ingrown toenail. So, <laughs> so you can price your, your products and your services according to what is it worth to your client to solve the problem. Yeah, what's your opinion on, I think a lot of people will look at other people offering similar services to them. And I know that I fell into this trap early on where I was looking at what other similar businesses were doing. And so in my mind, I found a bunch of businesses charging, you know, a, a certain amount. It was maybe like 500 to $1,000 a month for the similar services that I was offering. And then I know when I first started working with my first kind of high level coach, she looked at my pricing and was like, ooh, you are pricing low. And I was like, really? I thought everyone was charging like this and I'm on the upper end of that. And so what's your experience with like looking at what other people are doing versus kind of keeping your eyes on your own paper and setting those prices for yourself? Don't look at other people. Don't look. There's so many reasons why I do not subscribe to any like other practitioners, like emails. I mean, unless they're people I actually am hiring or, you know, using for my own personal life, but don't compare yourself. You don't know. People could be charging any amount and you look at them. And again, you assume they're doing great because that's what we do. We assume they're making offers. They're doing great. They got a lot. You don't know. They may have no clients. I can't tell you how many health coaches I've talked to and I'll say, uh, you know, we'll say, oh, how's it going? You know, business must be going so well for you. I see you all over Facebook. You have like five billion followers. And they're <laughs> like, Michelle, I've never turned a profit. And I'm like, what? How is that possible? You got, you do this and you do that and you published a book and no, I've never, I've never had a profit any year I've been in business. What? So don't look at other people because you don't know the back end of their business. And um, I just find it so much more useful to just try to beat my own best score. You know, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> that's all you can do. You know, <laughs> really, I feel like we're in such an interesting industry. No one is comparison shopping between health coaches. I mean, they might be making a decision like, should I join Weight Watchers again? 
or should I hire a health coach? But I don't think I've ever talked to a prospective client that was like, well, I'm interviewing four or five different health coaches. <laughs> They're just not. Right. It's not how it's not like buying a car. There's no like table online that compares you and your services and your prices to somebody else's. So I say, just don't even look, just look at your own work. I love that. And so I think one of the things you mentioned there was positioning your offer in a way that it's speaking to the problem that it's solving rather than the time that's going into it, whether that's, you know, looking at an hourly rate or whatever that might be. And I think one of the other ways that you can really increase your I was going to say perceived value, but actual value too is by really getting clear and focusing on a target market. And you mentioned this before, and I know that this is something that you yourself resisted for a long time, uh, much like I did, and that now you have latched onto that and can go on about it for days, also much like I did since I actually got on the the target market train. So I'm curious if you have any examples, because I think a lot of people who may not be coming into starting a health coaching business from a, a business background, a lot of people have a, a lot of a really hard time getting clear on like, well, what is my target market? How do I think about that? Is it like the the thing that I do? Is it, you know, that can be a very specialized problem that I help solve. How do you coach people to get clear on that target market? I think about a target market in two ways. One is who is the person, right? How old are they? Male, female, are they um, living in California? Are they living in New York? Do they live abroad? Uh, do they work as a lawyer? Do they work as a janitor? Do they work as, you know, you want to like understand the type of person that you are targeting. They're from everything from those sort of demographic things to the personality type. Are they the type of woman who drives a Prius and shops at Whole Foods? Or, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it's that whole idea of the avatar. So who are they is a really important part of your target market. And then what problem, what problem does this person want to solve is the other part. So if you just say to me, Michelle, my target market is gut health. I said, that's not a target market. That's just something that you are interested in. <laughs> but if you tell me that you work with, you know, women in their forties who you know, drive a Prius and do yoga and go to Whole Foods. And the number one result they see is reversing IBS symptoms. Okay. Now that's a target market that you can actually execute against. Cause at the end of the day, target market is not just like a fun idea that you write down and hang on your wall. Target market is a tool that helps you decide how to market yourself, what programs to offer how much to charge for them. So it, the tool will not be useful for you if you're too vague or if you refuse to choose one at all, <laughs> which I know it's hard, but, but it is definitely by far the thing that's made the biggest difference in how I run my business. Yeah, I have kind of think about it often, the, the target market as really like you cannot do any successful marketing if you don't know that because pretty much all marketing is, is just positioning yourself in front of people who are already directing their gaze in some direction. And you just want to like get in front of them and say, hey, you're looking at this, I do this, here I am in front of you. And if you don't know where those people are or where they're already looking, it's really hard to get in front of them. And I like what you talk about too, like using it as a tool and how it can guide all of your pricing decisions and the products you offer and all of those things. I'm curious, was there a moment where you, after resisting this, were finally like, okay, finally, I guess I, I, I guess I have to do this. And how did you go through that process for yourself? 
Oh my goodness. I think it was a slow chipping away of my own stubbornness. I think it was like years and years. And I don't feel like it really hit home for me until I was trying to market myself in smarter ways. One thing that really drove it home for me was trying to run a Facebook ad because you cannot go on Facebook and run an (laughs) ad to women who want to be healthier. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> it won't let you. You need to get real, real specific about what kind of woman, like what magazines does she read? I mean, you got to like really get down. And I was like, oh, this is why it matters. This is why it matters. And it's just like, you know, obviously we market ourselves in lots of different ways. I don't even run Facebook ads very much anymore, but it's the same idea. Like Facebook needs to know who are they going to serve this ad to? And so you, you need to know who, like you said, whose gaze am I trying to get in front of? It took a long time, but that that was one exercise that really hit home for me was the Facebook ad thing. <laughs> and then how did you decide what your target market was going to be? And obviously everybody struggles with this where we want to appeal to everyone. We don't want to eliminate people. How did you decide like, okay, I actually am going to eliminate all these people except this group? Like, how did you narrow in on that specific group? I really like this idea of thinking about who you do your best work with. Because it's true that I have worked with all different kinds of people, men and women, and I've helped them with all different kinds of problems through the years. So it's not like I'm saying, you know, Jeremy, I'm no good at working with men, but I know that I do my best work with women. I have had the biggest successes, got the best results for them. I personally enjoy it more. And then not just women, but like what kind of women. So it's easiest if you do in the beginning work with anyone you can, right? Like anyone who falls falls across your path, yes, take them on as a client because you need that experience to then determine for yourself, who do, who do I do my best work with? And interestingly, and this is going to be true, I want to say like 90% of the time, you will do your best work with people who are a lot like you. So it was no surprise to me in my health coaching business that, oh, look, I do really great work. I did, oh, with her and I remember that client and then her, all these women who are really high achievers, perfectionists, chronically stressed out. They all have trouble sleeping. They all have trouble with anxiety. They all have trouble with digestion. Oh, I know someone like that. That was me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. And then it all kind of clicked and fell into place, but it took me a long time because I feel like I did not have any guidance pointing these things out to me along the way. So it really took me way too long to arrive at my target market. Yeah. And I love that. Like you said, often once, once you do get clear on who you do your best work for and who your target market is, then you just consistently, that raises the overall like average level of your work. And you get more people who become raving fans and more people who tell their friends and are just like happy to shout your services and and you from the rooftop because, you know, you are really just a good match. And uh, even though you're performing the same services, maybe they get better results than people who you're not a good fit for. And so everything, it just kind of kicks off this virtuous cycle. Yeah. And they, I mean, we tend to just get along better, you know, cause I just know this woman and she gets me and I get her and we're just operating on the same wavelength. So imagine just doing that from the start with the very first touch point anybody has with your work. I mean, they're going to just be that attracted to you, even if they just came across one blog post or, you know, one thing that you put out into the world. We have that sort of chemistry together. And then once we're actually working together in a one-on-one relationship, I mean, first of all, my closing rate went through the roof once 
I got really clear about my target market. It's like a no brainer. We close at like 90% regularly and, you know, working with these women became a joy and it was not like I was trying to reinvent the wheel every time with my clients. Like I pretty much know how it's going to go each time and it makes the work easier, faster. The results come more easily for them and just a joy. It doesn't feel like a struggle anymore. Yeah. And I think that this comes back to pricing in that people are willing to pay more for something that is specialized to them and their exact circumstance. They don't need to do any brain work in, in adapting it to their life where you have experience mm-hmm. working with other people. And so like that has a, a direct cause or effect back onto the price that you can charge because, you know, you know, these people's circumstances and their symptoms or whatever it is that you're helping them with really intimately. So you can cut all this time out of it. They feel understood and seen and heard immediately. And yeah, people will pay a lot more for that sometimes. Oh yeah. I always talk about how I go to this one hair salon because they specialize in curly cuts and I wore my hair straight my whole life. And when I realized that I could start wearing my hair curly, it was like, it was a problem. Like I did not know how to do my hair. I was like almost 40 years old and having like hair problems like a teenager. And someone said to me, oh, have you gone to Vaza? They do curly cuts. And I walked in and they were like, yes, we do curly cuts. Here's how you cut curly hair. Here's why we do it this way. Here's how you style curly hair. Here are the products that you need. And they taught me everything I needed to know about curly hair. And I pay like a small fortune to get my hair done there because like, I did not know what I was doing, but I had this very specific problem. They answered it for me. Yeah. And I bet you now tell everyone of your curly haired friends about them as well. Absolutely. (laughs) So uh, we talked a little bit before about having different types of offers and products. And I know I heard this quote years ago that has always stuck with me that the average millionaire has something like seven revenue streams. And I heard this probably when I was a teenager and it has stuck with me for decades since. So I'm curious about your thoughts on having multiple revenue streams and how you can actually build these out. Because I think so often we kind of talked a bit before how there are one group of people who just want to build everything and create everything and they have all these ideas. And then there's another group where like, well, I just do this one thing and that's all I know how to do. So how do you think about expanding on, you know, maybe your core service offering, your one-on-one work with people and turning that into multiple revenue streams? And, and how quickly should you start expanding that maybe? I kind of see it as like a ladder that you go up and, and the ladder is the size of your list. So like we talked about earlier, when your list is small, you got to sell high priced services, right? So it's going to be more like where we all start with one-on-one coaching packages that you're selling at a high price point. And then as your list grows, then you could offer a group program at like maybe a you know slightly lower price point, but you have more people to sell to. A group is infinitely harder to gather, you know, get a bunch of people together who all want to do the same thing at the same time for the same price, right? So, but you need more people to, to make that successful. Okay, cool. Keep building your mailing list. I feel like at that point, you can start working in passive income streams like affiliate marketing, which I love. Again, if you don't have a lot of people to sell to, you're not going to make a lot of money from affiliate marketing. If you're making, you know, I'm an affiliate for Berkey water filters. So like I get, I don't know, 30% of every sale. If I make one sale, that's no great shakes. But if I can make like 50 sales, okay, now that's adding up. So you need to have an audience large enough for affiliate income to make an impact. So, you know, I would do that next. Again, as your list grows, as your list grows beyond that, that might be a time where you start 
holding larger scale events. You know, people want to do a retreat or you want to write a book. Great. You're never going to make money off a book if you only have 10 people on your mailing list. But if you have 10,000 people on your mailing list, now might be the right time for you to write a book that's going to work for you. So I think that you just have to pace yourself and not try to do all of the things at once and not try to do them backwards. Like write the book first, try to plan a retreat, you know, with your best friend who's a yoga teacher, except between the two of you, you only have 20 people to try to sell this to. It just doesn't work. (laughs) So just do the math, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, over the course of several years, you should be able to add one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, different income streams. And it is really, really important. I can point to one year of my business when I was having my first child. Now, granted back then I wasn't making that much money to begin with, but I was making some amount of money that I was going to miss not having, you know, when the baby was born. And when he was born, my whole life just kind of went to pot. And then I I, I ended up spending a lot of time making referrals to IIN, to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, because people wanted, were asking me questions about it. And I was just home with the baby. So I'd be like, oh, can I give you a call in like five minutes? And I'd get on the phone with them and I would just talk to them in a really casual way. Maybe the baby was crying. Maybe we were out for a walk, but I earned just as much money as I did the year before. And I did it all through that sort of affiliate referral marketing the year that my son was born. So it was lovely. It really filled in the gaps where I couldn't have ever worked with private clients during that time because I just didn't know when the baby was going to be napping and I couldn't I couldn't behave in a really professional way. So I found affiliate marketing kind of swooped in and saved me. And ever since then, I try to put a greater emphasis on doing that on purpose. Yeah. One of the other things that I love, kind of along a, a similar trail as that, is thinking about strategic partnerships. And I think that the wellness space is so well suited to this because a lot of times you as one practitioner aren't going to be able to solve all the problems that somebody might have, or you might want to refer somebody else to another specialist. So maybe you don't deal with nutrition yourself and you are addressing some other aspect of your client's health, but you know a great nutritionist and you have a partnership set up where maybe you get a little referral bonus or something like that for people. And I think that this can be a little sticky depending on exactly what your specialty is. So definitely like check in on that. But for some people, uh, depending on what it is, that can work really well. And I know like for yoga practices or things like that, who are maybe almost more like general wellness based or activity based gyms, things like that, that can be a great way to kind of send your clients to somebody else who is going to help them. So your client is benefiting, that other person is benefiting because they're getting a new client. And then you're also getting a bit of an affiliate or kind of partnership bonus there as well. And you know what, even if you don't, you know, because especially in some professions, you can't take a kickback for any kind of referral like that. Even if you don't, people remember, they remember that you were useful. You were useful. You connected them with so-and-so or that practitioner then uh, refers people to you. You know, networking and, and kind of working your network is absolutely something that you should always do, whether or not you're earning from it directly. Every Sunday, I send out my Listen Up newsletter to over a thousand entrepreneurs, marketers, and creatives who are seeking to grow an audience around work that means something. Each week features an article to help you reframe how you're approaching your business, along with five things I discovered the previous week that I think might help you in your life and business. Instead of another tactic or strategy to add to your never-ending to-do list, the newsletter is meant to help you rise above the noise and look at your work from a new perspective. It's best consumed sitting somewhere cozy with a cup of coffee in your hand, which is exactly how I write it. 
Writing this newsletter is my very favorite thing I do in my business, and it's something I'm truly proud to create and share. I'd be honored to send it to you, and you can sign up at betterwellness.biz newsletter. So I like to say that this is a show about building a better world disguised as a show about building better businesses. So I'm curious, when you hear the phrase building better, what comes to mind for you? Ease, joy, you know, I I want a world where we're not talking about like the rat race and road rage and like mm-hmm. fa- Facebook mm-hmm. arguing and all the parents, oh my goodness, arguing on the Facebook groups, like that angst, you know, that angst in the world. I feel like I'm building a business that helps me stay out of all of that and, and helps other people get out of all of that. It's like a different plane. That's what I feel when I think about a better business, like how can we work? How can we live with more ease? How can I create a business that does it for me, for the people that work for me, for my clients? How can we step out of this angst? Because it feels like the world, especially lately, has been nothing but angst. This has been like a refuge. I'm not surprised that Michelle mentioned the word ease here. If you spend any time interacting with her and her brand, Ease is exactly the feeling that comes through in everything she does. If you'd like to see for yourself and connect with Michelle further, you can check out her fantastic Facebook community, which you can find at healthcoachpower.com. You can also check out her free training, which goes deeper into everything we talked about today, about how to turn health coaching into a full-time predictable salary, which you can find at healthcoachpower.com slash earn, E-A-R-N. After listening to this episode, I'd love to hear where you feel you might be leaving money on the table in your own business. You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice and leave me a voice message or shoot me an email at jeremy at counterweightcreative.co. In next week's episode, I'm going to be talking with Juju Hook, all about the seasonality of both our lives and businesses and how to make a shift when things are no longer feeling aligned. This is a timely episode at the start of this new year, and I'm really excited to share it with you. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Tom Kelly for sound engineering support, Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their behind-the-scenes work keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you listening, thank you so much for listening, as always, and until next time, keep building better.